Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. This is season five, episode 37. Thanks for listening. Is this the last interview of the year? This is our last episode of the year. So interesting. Is, yeah. It has been a lot. It surprisingly, we got to 37 this year. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's not, it's not our COVID year when we were doing two a week. <laughs> right. We had we were a bit busier this year. Yeah. So in this episode, we have Colson Steber. He is the co-CEO of Ag Access and Communications for Research. And this is his third time on. He's been on in 2020, 2021, 2022. And um, we call it the trilogy with Colson. Um, talking about his how his business has changed. He's also pretty involved in the Insights Association. That's how I got to know him pretty well. And he's also very active on LinkedIn. And he has a whole methodology around building his own brand and his company's brand through LinkedIn. So I think it's a good discussion. Um, I have one thing. Yeah. Now that Colson's been on, we've had a few people who have been on three plus times. Yeah. Do we need to get some sort of like award or like how SNL, if you've posted five times, you get like a jacket. Yeah, Should the, we do something like that? Yeah, do you get a tank top for three? <laughs> maybe. Can <laughs> we do something after you've been on three times or more? Do we maybe, we need to think about that for next year. Absolutely. We have to do something. Um, and we'll go retroactive for the people who have been on three times. Yeah. I don't even know who has been on three times. Um, Lisa Walding Brown. Colson. Colson. I know there's at least one more. Okay. So yeah, give us your sizes and we'll send you something. We will get some IntelliCast socks, <laughs> headband. I don't know, but um, that's a good idea. But you know, Colson um, really stepped up in leadership of our industry the last couple, well, five to ten years ago, and has continues to do it. Um, what a lucky guy! He lives in St. Louis, becomes president of our Insight Association chapter, Great Lakes chapter. And then moves to Florida, becomes president of that chapter as well. Are you thinking of moving? No, I think maybe he's thinking about moving. There's other chapters out there. What if he tried to get, you know, all of them? Just maybe that's tour? his goal. Yeah. Well, now he's got less to do because there's less chapters. So yeah, that makes makes it easier. Anyway, that's enough of us. Let's listen to Colson and uh, thank you for listening. Joining me now is one of the rare third timers on the podcast. I mean, so excited to have Colson Steber. Colson is the co-CEO of that. Access and Communications for Research. Colson, good to see you. How you doing? Awesome. It's great to have an opportunity to sit and catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Just before, like 30 seconds ago, we talked about this is your third time on the podcast. This is the trilogy. Um, the first time you came on, it was kind of a low point, not just for you, I think for our whole industry, right? It was, um, it was either April or May of 2020. Yeah, that was a challenging time, and you all were going through so many changes as a company, and then you came on, I guess, I don't know, a little over a year ago, maybe, and things yeah. had turned around. You started Ag Access, rebranded, um, and so now I'd love to hear kind of what, what's going on with um, Ag Research and Ag Access, and what's going on? You know, we I, I use something called a pumpkin plan from Microcatalytics <laughs> to figure out my sweet spot and uh, – figure out like a niche of niches of something I knew we had a unique knowledge of that we could launch a business on and had one and had, had said, you know, this is the direction we need to go down in 2019 uh, in forming ag access as its own brand separate from communications for research, even though it's the exact same services is just like, you know, saying to the world, Hey, we know about this work in the agriculture and animal health world. And like, it was definitely one of the great gifts of the pause of 2020 that that actually launched and then now 
uh, this year it will account for a little over half of our business. And it's wow. been like the, you know, it's over doubled our customer base. And because, you, you know, we, we basically put up a giant poster board that said, hey, we know this better than everybody else because we do. And uh, suddenly and people could actually find us for it. So whereas, you know, pre-2020, the only, you know, we had these great deep relationships where there's good people doing good work and we're the ones doing it for them. Uh, largely, you know, no one worked with us unless they had met me. And now yeah. we're in this phase, next phase as a company where we actually have uh, some people that are in an insights director role that act as the face of the business and uh, that are not named Colson and uh, the companies, you know, not quite double the size, but near double the size. Uh, and uh, like we're uh, in the middle of Q4 in our busiest time of year, the busiest we've ever been. Um, and we've got a, a team structure behind all that to actually deliver on it. So uh, that's a, it's a pretty sweet. No, that's awesome. Yeah, because you, you did a lot of transitions over the past couple of years. And I'm curious, um, I know a little bit about this, given our kind of partnership with you, which we can talk about, but it, it feels like, obviously, agricultural research is very seasonal. And mm-hmm. um, we're, and marketing research is um, very unpredictable from a kind of a generic standpoint. It, it goes in all kinds of crazy waves based upon fiscal years and um different things that are happening in society and in business. And, you know, we aligned the new product development cycles, but curious about how you kind of manage towards seasonality in marketing research. I bet that creates a a lot of different challenges, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having half the business being concentrated in agriculture is, has a huge impact. Really the entire agriculture world is on an annual cycle because uh, you know there's an annual growing cycle tied back to crops or weather or even in livestock production uh, that's really how things are looked at and so if, if you look at like crop seed and equipment uh, and ag tech businesses uh, like that's the how they're going to operate and you see some of that where quite a few have the end of their fiscal year at the end of Q3. So that Q1, which is uh-huh. the kind of considered like the start of the new year is where a massive amount of spend happens, but it, it's very much tied to like, if you think about like a typical row crop that is a, or a commodity crop, it's actually harvested in the fall and then you're going to go out and you're going to get all of this data and make every possible decision because if some sort of new product is going to launch, prices are going to be reset. Uh, you know, anything is actually going to be done. It's going to happen uh, in January through March. And so you're going to like all of those final decisions are going to get made in October, November, December. That's so fascinating to me because something that um, I've learned a little bit about doing a little bit more agricultural research we learned a lot this past year we, we had someone on the podcast Lila Raymer yesterday 
and uh, I'm not sure if you know her, but she works in financial services and um, very specialized. And I know we're going to talk about trends a little bit, but maybe I'll get right into it is, do you think that we're moving to much more towards specialization? I think there was a trend towards more generic, do-it-all kind of research and in, in marketing research where we can do agricultural research, we can do financial services research, we can do CPG research, we can do whatever. I have a feeling this trend of expertise, um, whereas you are clearly an expert in, in research and an expert in agricultural specific research, I wonder if there's a trend, you feel there's a trend in more specificity and expertise in research? Yeah, I mean, uh, like depth of knowledge is like highly valued, right? So like, I mean, yeah. sort of a, a great book on like how we learn and grow is is uh, David Epstein's range. And then it sucks about like, like we need that breath, right? We need, we need essentially like a practice, which is that we're researchers. And, but in reality, uh, all of that breadth of knowledge that we have from this one baseline allows us to go really, really deep. Yeah. And in order to differentiate ourselves in what is uh, like in super complex, increasing, you know, like we have to actually have relevance back to the business context uh, and the uh, consulting that's being provided as a result of research. And it has to, like, we have to actually have a point of view and that be unique. Uh, Like, as researchers, you got to be able to go deep and get in specific areas that you can actually stand out in. Yeah. Um, Maybe that'll be in our trends, Brian, for 2023. I have a feeling, and I think it's a good thing. I think as researchers, we're doing a better service to our clients when we understand their business problems and consult not just on research, but on business. We're, and I think that we're evolving from a, I don't know, marketing research methodology industry to an insights and true insights is how Colson thinks about his business and how he advises his clients. So I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I think the, the, like I believe in this, like this macro trend where just businesses are, more data driven than ever and that's yeah. not going to slow down it's driven by the access to technology and all of the other you know transformational things that are happening right and so being more data driven puts um market research practice like as a direct part of that mix into like how the core decisions for how the company is going to be run are there right and that and the the piece of the pie that is primary research may not appear to be growing all that much, which is obviously the one that we, that I play in because there's so much data and analytics that combine with it, but it still means that uh, like we're a source of like what to, so what, and what to do with that data, how to actually make decisions from it. And so it's going to increase the reliance on us as actual consultants. Yeah, researchers sticking us off in a corner as just the researcher. Right. I'm hoping that gets us a seat at the table, like a C-level table, instead of reporting through a chief marketing officer. Maybe there's a 
a seat at the table for someone that has more data analytics insights right. driven because it's so relevant. And that's essentially a trend that exists across the yeah. 12 years I've been doing this of watching that, you know, that's always a topic of conversation. Yeah. I feel like you see a lot of people actually like making serious headway over the course of the years of iteration and these businesses like like more and more businesses are evolving past uh like a small group of key decision makers and into how do we look out for the customer experience the humans that are we're affecting the you know these the user uh and actually design back to what's going to work and that's all data driven so yeah of course we um this was not part of what I originally we discussed talking about today. It's always a nice segue though. I think it's very relevant. I'd love to talk more about your business specifically. And you said um, you're busier than ever. Is, um, is there certain methodologies that are busier than ever? Is it phone? Is it call? Is it quant? Is it kind of everything? Like what's been picking up? It's, so our business is research logistics. Really like where we would fit in the world is as that, you know, very competent, actual field management partner that you know because we deliver the uh sampling plan and what the key metrics are and milestones that are we're going to track and make sure that uh, we actually get to the outcome that you need so that we can work with that lead consultant uh on get the outcome and not just be an order filler um yeah. like the as we get better at making sure we're working with the people that actually want to use us for that level of service uh you know the uh there's i would say pretty equal growth for us between qual and quant um most people that begin working with us do it on a qualitative project um and then it and then the whole basis is to have relatively few clients that you're just always working with right and right. then uh so that we're an actual practice and we're can be part of the operational process of running research uh then on the uh and then in terms of what you just said is there anything that's well, like the thing that there's less of is um like outright doing any quantitative work by phone uh i mean so we still employ like 60 uh like outgo call agents which is like what this business was when it was uh formed 26 years ago when telephone was the primary methodology that research was done yeah. um but 70 percent of those hours are servicing a relatively small set of uh like trackers that are that just haven't actually gone anywhere and the other 30 percent of the hours is that like we have the ability to pick up the phone at any time but it's always as a compliment to uh, you know you're always looking to like pre-qualify people you know work a very very short list of the exact right people because it's just exorbitantly expensive to do uh to do outbound calling work i mean i, yeah. I mean the, the metrics have gotten so astronomically worse over the last two or three years of being able to reach people as the proliferation of uh like yeah. everyone having better privacy controls on their phones is it's like 
it, it's it's inconceivable that people are sp still spending a significant <laughs> amount of money to do it. <laughs> it's so yeah. bad. Yeah, I bet. Um, we should probably have another podcast at some point talking about telephone specifically because I'm kind of fascinated. It still exists. It's still a big part of marketing research and so many unique challenges that you just kind of you know, just hit a highlight on. Um, let's talk about online sampling and agricultural research. Um, we should probably say that we do have a partnership with each other and um, that there was a press release. I don't know. Was it this? I guess it's been about a year now. I don't even remember. Yeah, January. I would have been February, January, February of yeah. of this year that it was like formally announced. Yeah, so um, we're fortunate to be able to um, provide sample for a lot of the business questions um, in this space. And um, are there are there specific unique challenges with uh, reaching people that? might be in the agricultural world, whether they're farmers or they're manufacturers or whatever, from an online methodology? I'm assuming there are because they're not sitting in their desk all day long, or at least a lot of people aren't sitting in their desk all day long like I am, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not unique in that, like, I've, I've, I've come up with, like, three reasons people do research, and it's that they want to, like, they want to be in the know. Mm -hmm. They want to feel like the someone who like actually matters to them they're getting to actually in like see what they're talking about in the in the no sense and and feel like they're going to impact some decision out of it and then they want to uh and, and then they want to like get a exchange for that transaction where they get an incentive the challenge is is that like a, a farmer or somebody that's a or a veterinarian or you know, somebody that's in landscaping absolutely does not have any interest and it doesn't hit those boxes unless you pay them far more than what you do on a consumer panel. You, the things that you're asking them about are the companies that they use and uh, like what they get to be in the know about is about like the equipment that is getting developed and coming to market, right? Like they don't, they want to learn about what's relevant to them and that doesn't look the same as it looks on any other panel. Yeah. And so they don't join like a nationwide panel at any significant rate because they get fed a bunch of stuff that they don't actually care to participate in the research in that doesn't pay them well enough uh, for them to spend their time on it. Um, yeah. And it is a B2B audience, right? Where you are going to spend more to get more, but you uh, when you can send them the when you are in that space and you need to talk about um you know heavy duty pickup trucks and you know power equipment and tractors and seed and uh you know chemical applications and uh you know technology that's specific to serve them now all of a sudden since that's like the sole focus of ag access and that's what we're feeding them uh through and we you know we really work to make sure that we're essentially only getting aggregated by EMI. Because yeah. uh, I, I, I basically, to the effect of how I was just describing our business and the position we want to be in, we always want to be working with the lead consultant. 
And if we're going to be fourth party and filling an order, then I want it yeah. to be because I'm I'm doing it with the right relationship and partner, right? Not because I'm just uh, you know some uh, AI uh, decided that I should I could just feed thousands of extra survey invites to. Uh, uh, we're very specific about ag access as a community and not at, just as a panel right uh, in that way that's that's how we like to build our partnerships you touched a lot of things that i think really resonated and number one was how you um you have a lot of empathy for your um panel members your community that you have and i think in some ways we've lost that as an industry and that's one of the reasons I think you're very successful. And I think it's also one of the reasons we're very successful is that, you know, you you want to provide, you know what your, your members want. You know that. And you're real particular about what type of surveys and what type of research and what kind of, kind of tasks you want to give to those people. And we've lost that. A lot of, you know, I mean, honestly, a lot of panels have forgotten about that and moved towards a model where it's, um, you know, sending as many messages as possible, getting every penny you can, and it's different kind of profitability metrics that we're looking at. And yes, you're a for-profit business, I'm sure, just like we are, and you um, you were in this to make money, but also, you know, these are assets that are valuable, um, extremely valuable. The people's opinions that you can access are hard for other people to reach, and it's because you have treated them so well and continue to treat them well and you're all protective of them. And those are honestly, that's the type of people we want to work with that here at EMI. Um, we could buy a sample all day long at certain companies for a quarter or 50 cents and, you know, crank it out. But we want to provide the best cons consult consulting to our clients. Um, from our perspective, it's sampling. Um, for your perspective, it's a lot more broad than that. It's more business decisions. And so um, that's one thing you touched on that I, Kind of what I mentioned. I think that's great what you're doing in terms of having empathy for your membership. Yeah, yeah, that alignment to how BMI expects to exist in the world is, uh, you know, why it actually makes sense. Um, yeah, and it's taken iterations, but uh, yeah. over the course of this year, even uh, for us to figure out how we work together to deliver back on it but it has i mean it, we're actually doing more now than what we have in, at any given point uh which is i don't think it's just a product of uh the fact that it's the busiest time of the year for this type of research it's although um it's also an indicator that like we're starting to get the mix yeah of how of what questions need to be asked up front how do we make sure we are putting something forth that is aligned to that vision and then uh, and have it priced correctly so that it's able to be uh, something that like everybody can actually make money on executing uh, for the clients. Absolutely. So I'll move on to a couple other things. If, if people want to reach out to you with questions about agricultural research, um, or you personally, um, how, how do they find you? I think the easiest and best way is that I'm the only Colson Steber, uh, <laughs> and general, and I'm on LinkedIn and all the time. And, uh, I, 
engage with people constantly there. Well, that's one thing I wanted to talk about is um, I'm so impressed with what you do on LinkedIn. And um, you, I think you think differently, maybe it's because you're a CEO and you're a, at least a second generation researcher. Um, you know, you're pretty, I don't know what the term is. Um, you're pretty structured with how you want to go through a day and use LinkedIn as almost like a motivation technique, maybe. Is that fair to say? Or how do you think about it? That's probably not how you would describe it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I have a very strong ability to take action and start things, which I've learned is pretty unique and I because I constantly have ideas and uh, essentially to always figure out how to rein myself in I'm constantly like trying to like raise my own awareness and gain enough context to like put systems in place and processes to like get myself to do what I need to do and you know successfully getting to a you know far better place than what I have been in previous years uh and and in taking that intentional action and then and as it goes with um uh with linkedin uh you know i i don't use social media but i need to use social media for business and so i'm not going to be anything other than what i like actually am so then i think that that is generally novel to uh be on linkedin in that way so like i post about three things that are like directly aligned to who I am. It's basically like to take intentional, to encourage, to take intentional action, uh, to uh, like share some of my point of view on the world or to uh, specifically promote somebody that I think is doing something that aligns to that point of view. And then if, and and they, the good news is, is if I, if I'm diligent about it and actually spend the, about an hour a week, I plan to on LinkedIn, like looking at content and posting, then as it sits right now, it's like enormously helpful back to the business because I've been doing that for about two and a half years. It's become a consistent habit. And, you know, thousands and thousands of people, uh, according to LinkedIn, have views on every post, which I certainly get feedback from because now when I go to research conferences, it's like, <laughs> It's been pretty common for me to have like you know fifty plus people talk to me about my LinkedIn. Uh, no, that's a, that's amazing. Um, I think you've really built a strong individual brand along with your company. Um, you come across as very genuine, and I think that's that would be, I would say, one of your core values. You come across as very genuine. You you hit those points all the time, and so I can certainly see that. Um, I think it's a lesson for people in our industry that want to build their own brand. We're going through this workshop through um, Brian's teammate and sometimes producer Emma is leading that internally, built brand building. We had a wire event just last night about building brands. And, um, you know, we, we worked with Priscilla McKinney and at Little Bird, and she's done amazing work for our industry. And she's helped with us internally as well. And I think it's, it's, it's a, like you said it yourself, it helps build your business and it's, it's a must have and you dedicate an hour a week towards it. I try to dedicate an hour a week towards it. I'm not very good at it. I'm not going to be a ton better because I, I think I have similar goals that you do. And Brian probably, I mean, he would tell me I need to do exactly what you're doing, right? 
I will. Uh, I've been really impressed. It's become a habit. I was doing that coaching with Priscilla that got me to like hone it in and, and really work to build the habit and then mm-hmm. um, and get it to like. Because it, it's hard to like, it's like a Seth Godin principle or right where you're just always going to shift work and you're just going to, it's it's difficult to like keep that practice and be willing to like continually put myself out there. But I, I, I definitely have a decent amount of fear that just someday I'm just like, my genuineness is going to like cross some like line and I'm going to like go viral. It's like the asshole CEO. I have that same fear, both on the podcast and with anything I write. I really do. So I'm glad you kind of said that because I, ha- I constantly have that fear that something I'm going to say is going to rub someone the wrong way or I'm going to offend someone or oops, or unintentionally. Um, yeah, I live that every day. Yeah. I mean, if if you don't create haters, then you're probably <laughs> not saying something interesting. Like, there, right. there's a lot to say behind that, but it's not like – yeah. Uh, it is it is a weird uh, sense but that like I also really like I don't I very intentionally I, I'm very very work much work hard to bring attention to things that I want to bring attention to so I I consume very very little outside news and huh. uh, and I'm always trying to like like bring about positivity and gratitude in my own life so if yeah. I like share that back out and I'm like that relentlessly positive person, then I, I feel like I'm relatively less likely to, you know, you you can take it the wrong way. I've certainly had some pretty bizarre messages show up in my inbox. Like I've, <laughs> I, I've like posted about books, I a book I loved and then had, you know, researchers follow up and be like, uh, why would you share such, you know, a trash book? And I'm like, oh, you've read it. You love it, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, you're doing a great job. I think I, I think you should be commended for all the work you're doing. It, it's clearly paying off. Um, I guess the last kind of question or topic is, you know, we, we got to know each other pretty well when you were involved in Insights Association. Um, we got to know you pretty well, and I appreciate everything. I mean, you helped me out a lot in my career, and so I always appreciate that. But um, you since moved to Florida, got back, and you never really didn't become uninvolved, but now you're involved in a different chapter. Um, what's going on in the Southeast chapter, which we compare notes with the, with the, um, our upper Midwest chapter. Um, how are things down there? Um, president of insights association, South Atlantic, which yeah. will uh, be coming to a close relatively soon. Uh, the presidency at least. Uh, I mean, we've, it, it, we're the amalgamation of, three chapters all of which were it had that core base but it like had been the some of the chapters where since the start of the pandemic were only like keeping a certain amount of what they needed to together and so we came together like my number one goal was team health for us to feel like there was a reason for there to be that volunteerism like that actually show up and do things attitude and i do feel as i sit and reflect right now that while you know i of course can identify the gaps of all the ways in which it could be better and uh, that we actually like fulfilled that in very many ways and 
or have a very good group of uh, researchers that are, you know, now have something in Insights Association South Atlantic to carry forward into 2023, which I'll remain a part of. And yeah, I mean, it's one of those uh, things to realize as I reached the close of being president this year, I I was noting that like, this is actually the end of my 10th year on a chapter board. So. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, thank you for all that. It's all volunteer work. It's a lot of work. And um, I think you were the right person to come to lead. This was a tough year. I know it for being on our board um, as we merged different chapters and right. national trying to, you know, do some different things, which I think are all positive. But this was a tough year. It was kind of a transition year. So having you with that experience and 10 years on the board and a former president in our chapter, um, leading that chapter, I'm sure was a great thing. So, you know, thank you for that. Thanks. I hope it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Colson, I really appreciate you coming on. You do a lot for the industry and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your partnership and thanks for coming on. And maybe next year we'll start a, a new trilogy. Um, but this closes the Colson Steeper. Awesome. Um, we can be open, but we, we can do 2023 <laughs> goals and habits. That's right. All right. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it and have a good week. Yeah, you too. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.